It was a very bright, shining light, Sarajevo, and they needed to kill that light. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. U2, they represent a personification of our resistance. The Hollywood Reporter hails Kiss the Future, moving and inspirational. Kiss the Future! Viva Sarajevo! Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply. Good morning. Welcome to the 24-7 Sports College Basketball Show. I'm your host, Tani Levitt, coming to you from the basement with another jam-packed episode for you today. But before we get there, wow, there were a lot of you last week. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. I saw that spike in numbers. I was like, yo, this is the off-season. You guys are cool. You guys are awesome for the way you love college basketball, that kind of passion in the off-season, corona season no less. Love to see that. And for those of you who came via the embeds on 247sports.com, you rock. Thank you for reading our website. But do us a favor. We're on Apple Podcasts. We're on Spotify. We're on Google Play, Google Podcasts. Wherever you get your podcasts, we're there. And do yourself a favor because by subscribing on your phone, you'll get there an hour probably at least before you could get it on the website. It takes me time to embed on the website and we'd love for you to have this episode as soon as possible. And the way to do that is to subscribe on your phone. So be sure to do that. Today, I'm going to bring on Kevin Flaherty because as many of you probably know, the deadline for college players to declare for the NBA draft was last week. But for many underclassmen, they still have eligibility left to play in college. And they have the opportunity to test the NBA waters and potentially decide to come back to school. And so what we want to discuss is who Kevin thinks should go, who Kevin thinks should come back, and who maybe that decision relies on whether or not the NBA will decide to postpone the draft and then have workouts so that the team could actually see these guys. Because we always know about those combine monsters who blow away people in their sprint speed or in the basketball combine, shoot the hell out of the ball. So that's what we're going to do. Without further ado, I'm going to bring on Kevin Flaherty. And be sure to stay tuned to the end of the episode because we've got a couple of announcements there that you won't want to miss. Here's Kevin. All right. Got Kevin Flaherty back on the show. Kevin, how you doing? Uh, doing really well, Tony. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm thrilled. There is live sports. I've got KBO on my DVR. I did not stay up to watch last night. Have you chosen a favorite team in the KBO, and are you watching? I, I have not chosen a favorite team yet, but I can almost guarantee you that that I will be watching. You know, baseball season is one of my favorite times of year. So uh, even if it is, uh, even if it is not the beloved Kansas City Royals going out and and losing 100 games this season, you know, I'm sure that I'll fire it up to watch some baseball. Yeah, I, I chose the NC Dinos, which is nice because they played last night, and apparently they have a really nice mascot, but word is still out. I know, I heard that they were <laughs> compared to the Brewers, so I don't know how that feels. With uh, Like, I don't know if you guys have Midwestern rivalries or something. No, no, not at all, not at all. Although I, I am a little sad to see Lorenzo Kane with the Brewers. I'm a, a huge Lorenzo Kane guy and loved him when he was in Kansas City. So uh, would have uh, would have loved for him to finish his career here. Uh huh. I'm I'm a big fan of Lorenzo Kane too, and I know uh, you know our basketball people are like, why are you talking so much about baseball? Well, <laughs> it's all we have right now, sort of. I had a, a famous fantasy baseball team called Two Canes, and I had Lorenzo and Matt Kane. Uh, but there you go. <laughs> let, let let let's let's get into the the meat of things because I know I'm I'm dragging on people's attention right here. So today I wanted to talk about 
all all live sports are stopping, but the NBA draft, you know, in case you haven't heard people at home, uh, is kind of creeping up on us. And and there have been reports that the NBA draft might get pushed back to August. And I think we're going to get into that a bit, what that might mean for some guys. But I figured, Kevin, you know, you and I have talked over the slack about, you know, there, there are guys who could really change the picture of college basketball next season. And so today I thought we could talk about guys who still have eligibility left, who have declared for the draft, um, who have a decision to make as to whether to stay in the draft and sign with an agent or to come back to school. Uh, and, and so um, if you're ready, I'd love to hear. Uh, if we let's start with guys who you think really, really should just go to the draft. Sure, sure. I, you know, it, and I'll I'll start it off with a real quick story time uh, because it it kind of segs into it. Love it. You know, I, I covered a guy once, Tani, who uh, left uh, left college after his junior year and wasn't projected to be drafted by anybody and. He was a really smart kid, you know. He was he was one of those, you know, not academic all American, but academic all conference types. And and I asked him, you know, straight out, I, I said, "Hey, you know, why are you going early when it looks like you won't be drafted? You're not projected by anybody to be drafted." And he said, and I'll never forget this. He said, "I'm a short, fat point guard right now, and I will still be a short, fat point guard a year from now." <laughs> and I think that when you look at it that way, one of the guys that stands out to me is Omer Yurtsevin. And, mm-hmm. and the reason why is I think he, he pretty much is what he is, right? Like he's not a guy uh, at Georgetown that, that you look at him and say, if Yurtsevin comes back and does A, B, and C, he's going to be drafted higher. You know, he he's a guy that, that might go undrafted, but he's probably still going to be the same guy a year from now that he, that he is right now. You know, he was a double-double guy this year, but you look at, you know, he took 11.3 shots per game. 10.8 of those came inside the arc. You know, he's a seven-footer who, who plays – you know, inside the arc, and that's that's kind of what he does. He plays around the basket, and I don't see that changing in, in another year. And one of the the here's kind of a, a twosome for you, and I know that you probably have have some feelings on these guys, Nick Richards and Emmanuel Quickly. Mm. You know, I know both of them have said that they're staying in the draft, but they were two guys that really jumped out at me in terms of, hey, your stock is at an all time high right now. Maybe you could come back and and improve your game a little bit, but you've got to go right now. Yeah, yeah. I, I there there are a couple of other guys who I singled out for that exact same reason that like you know there there's no way they're going to improve their draft stock. And for a guy like Yurtsevin, you know, one thing that's interesting to me is that for a lot of these guys going to the NBA draft is not a statement that they think they're going to make it to the NBA. It's just the first step to their professional careers. And for some of them, that's the NBA. For some of them, that's the G League. And for a lot of them, it's going to be going overseas. And a guy like Yurtsevin, who was incredibly productive at the college level, you know, could go overseas and produce right away. So, it, it, you know, for guys like that, who are whose stock is at an all-time high, maybe they're not thinking towards the NBA. They're thinking towards just being a professional. And this is just the first step for them. Sure. And if you can become a star at that international level, then the pay is better and the job security is better than being the 10th, 11th or 12th guy on an NBA roster. And, you know, we've seen guys in the past, you know, a a guy that 
that I'm thinking of just off the top of my head, Keith Langford has been a tremendous player overseas, probably had multiple chances to come back, you know, try out for an NBA team, maybe be one of those end of the bench guys and said, you know what, I'm going to stay overseas. The money is better. You know, I'm not worried that that I'm going to get cut or or anything like that. And like you said, for a lot of guys – you know, this is the start of a, a productive pro career that just maybe doesn't have the, you know, the MBA next to their name after they uh, after they finish it up. Absolutely. So speaking of that category, I want to ask you about two guys who didn't play at Power 5 schools but had really nice seasons last year, Jalen Crutcher at Dayton and Malachi Flynn at San Diego State. How, how do you feel about them going uh, to the pros or staying in school? Because I know I have feelings, but I'm curious about yours. You know, Flynn's the fascinating one to me because his stock is pretty high, obviously, after after being an All-American. And yet, if he had come back, San Diego State's in a position to have another year, you know, like the one they just had. And I know that sounds crazy to say. You think about San Diego State potentially being a one seed this year, being a, you know, if not a once in a lifetime occurrence, you know, certainly a generational thing. But they would have returned four starters, you know, including Flynn. And and the fifth guy would have been a guy who started at the start of the year and and then, you know, got hurt and missed the the second half of the season. And so San Diego State had all the pieces intact to maybe make another run at a national title and potentially maybe even reinforce, you know, Flynn's stock or or maybe even help it rise a a little bit. so I don't have a problem with him going based on the year that San Diego State had, and yet when you look at uh, when you look at maybe the situation that would have been waiting for him in San Diego, you know that that would have been that would have been really interesting, you know, to to see if he had come back to be one of the top couple players in college basketball and one of the top couple teams in college basketball. Jalen Crutcher is another fascinating guy, and I'm glad you brought him up because I think Crutcher still has work to do. You know, I, I think that he could come back and improve his game, but at the same time, Dayton isn't going to be anywhere near what it was this year with Obi Toppin and, and being that type of of national title contender. And so, I don't necessarily fault him for going for those reasons either. It would be a very different situation for Jalen Crutcher as a player to come back for Dayton next year. Yeah, I mean, I think if you know, you look at those two programs really are among the two who are hit hardest by the coronavirus ending the season early. But if you think about, you know, who can come back next year and say, I want to do what, you know, the virus took our opportunity away to do next year, that might just be at San Diego State, not at Dayton. Yeah, absolutely. And San Diego State's a team that, you know, I, Donnie, you know, I look at the the way too early rankings, you know, pretty much obsessively, we do one of our own. And San Diego State is a team that even without Malachi Flynn is picking up sort of that fringe top 25 mention. You know, people will maybe slide them in, you know, in that 22, 23, 24 range, or, or maybe they have them just outside with an acknowledgement that, you know, they may still be the Mountain West's best team. And that's without Malachi Flynn. And when you think about, how good San Diego State could be returning, you know, arguably the best returning guard in college basketball. 
if Flynn did come back, you know, that, that's a team that, that could have put itself in the position to have its second consecutive, just truly special season. That would be really nice for those guys out in the Mountain West. And before we move to guys, I think, or I'm sorry, guys, you think should definitely come <laughs> back to school. I want to ask you about two more guys who kind of remind me of what you're saying about San Diego State, Jamias Ramsey, Texas Tech, and Tyrell Terry at Stanford. Both those schools bringing in some serious firepower uh, in recruiting and are included in ours and CBS Sports' top t- early top 25. But those guys are getting mentioned pretty high in um, some you know not-so-early mock drafts. I'm curious your take on those two guards. Yeah, I, I think Texas Tech is going to be really good this next year. You know, they tried to get uh, Joel and Tomboy, um eligible this season, and, and his waiver was denied. And he was somebody that probably would have started for the Red Raiders this season. Instead, he sat out. You know, had a chance to absorb the system. Chris Beard, as we've known, you know, the last couple years or so, has really had to kind of hit the reset button on his entire roster. It, it seems like each season, and, and Texas Tech returns a lot more this year than, than what they typically have. And, and when you look at Jamias Ramsey, you kind of circle him and say, okay, this is a guy who does still have some work to do. You know, he he's a good isolation scorer. You know, has has sort of that NBA scoring game, maybe doesn't create quite at the level you would like. Defensively, you know, fades in and out, but there's some ability there. Uh, and, and you look at him and you say, well, gosh, if Ramsey came back to Texas Tech, that's that's a top five type team. Mm. And, and even without him, you know, you're talking about them being in the top 10 or top 15. At the same time, like you said, with his draft placement, it wouldn't be a shock to see Ramsey go top 20 or top 25. And so it's really tough to fault Ramsey for going. Terry, to me, needs to come back because I think that he needs to develop physically and continue to to build on what he did as a freshman. And like you said, he would be doing it with a loaded Stanford team where it would be sort of the opposite of what we were talking about with Jalen Crutcher. If Jalen Crutcher comes back, you know, he's the focus. When you play Dayton next year, your coach is going up to the whiteboard and he's circling Jalen Crutcher's name and saying, this is the guy that that we need to stop to beat Dayton tonight. And Terry isn't necessarily going to 100% be that guy for Stanford because they're going to have other options around him. And so it's a chance for him to continue to grow physically and be on a team that could be a a top 15 type team. And so I I think Terry's in a little bit different situation where I'd like to see him come back to school. Well, you know, with Terry, I I see – these draft experts are talking about him, you know, and his shooting ability. And I sure. think, you know, as a Maryland fan, uh, I think, you know, to Kevin Herter, when he left Maryland, you know, he, he had come off a solid year at Maryland, hadn't shot the ball particularly well, but the NBA people love shooters. Who doesn't love a shooter? You love to play with a shooter. And uh, that, that projects well. And, and, you know, he all of a sudden was getting buzz in that top 20, top 15, and boom, he's gone. Uh, And so I wonder if even though Terry has growing to do and could probably uh, use a year at the college level to kind of bump his just uh, the the things he's actually done when it comes to shooting. I just wonder if the NBA is going to bump him up and it'll be too hard for him to say no. Sure. And it's it's interesting because none of this happens in a vacuum, obviously. And when you look at 
you know, the way the draft is kind of shaping up right now and some of the guys who still have decisions to make, you know, Isaiah Joe of Arkansas is this incredibly prolific, you know, shooter who has made just an absolute ton uh, of three-pointers at, at Arkansas. And so you look at him as a guy that a team that needs shooting is, is going to circle. You look at a guy like Corey Kispert out of Gonzaga, who's being projected sort of in that 40 to 45 range, as I understand it, you know, as being somebody that at some point somebody says, Hey, this guy's six foot seven and and he tickles the nets, you know, that that's going to be our guy. And while they play different positions, I I think you're absolutely right, Tony, and that there are teams that come out and they don't necessarily say, we want a shooter who is six foot eight or taller, or we want a shooter who plays the point guard position. They want to add shooting. And so I think the interesting thing with Terry will be if he keeps his name in the longer the process goes, you know, does he maybe wait out a couple of those guys who decide to go to college and all of a sudden, you know, you and I are are sort of sitting here talking about Terry being the best shooter in the draft, as opposed to one of say, you know, three to five guys that, that somebody could, could say that about. Well, I love that. I, I I hadn't even thought about that, and I love when anybody brings game theory into just about <laughs> anything. Game theory was definitely among the top two hardest classes I took in college. Awesome stuff. Um, so let's real quick let's let's pivot now to guys you think should definitely come back. I know there are a couple names that I fully expect you to touch on, but I'm going to open the floor to you without suggesting anything in case you surprise me. I'm sure EJ Montgomery has got to be on your list. Um, you, you know, a, a guy who is Kentucky's sort of fifth best starter with a bullet. You know, a lot of people thought that uh, the next year would potentially be his year to have the year that Nick Richards had this year. And, and when you look at what Montgomery did this year, you know, he averaged six points and five rebounds a game. You know, he wasn't a super efficient scorer. He didn't really shoot well from the outside. You know, I, I think he shot, you know, he, he shot something like 52% from the fields, somewhere around there. Um, and, and Nick Richards was at 64%. And the thing is, is Nick Richards was commanding, you know, opposing defenses. You would want, you know, the other guy to be able to score efficiently when defenses aren't concentrating on him. And so, E.J. Montgomery, I really didn't get, especially when, you know, the biggest talking point, maybe this entire offseason in college basketball has been Kentucky's lack of front court players. Montgomery would have been in a situation where he would have played and he would have played a lot and he would have had a chance to to show off his game, work on his body, do all of the things necessary to show to NBA scouts that he is ready. And this is a, a former 24-7 sports composite five-star guy, a former top 10 guy um, in the top 24-7. And so when you look at that, I just I don't see any way he gets drafted at this point. I just don't. And I feel like if he would have come back to school, had the kind of gear that he's capable of having, you know, maybe, maybe that would have changed. You know, Luca Garza is another one. Um, Garza, you could say maybe should go based on the fact that there just isn't a lot for him to do at the college level when you put up the astronomical numbers that he did. Uh, there are six National Player of the Year awards that go into naming the quote-unquote consensus National Player of the Year. Obi Toppin took five. 
the other one went to uh, went to Luca Garza. So obviously he's been tremendously effective at this level. And yet you look at what Yudoka Azubuki did for Kansas and coming back and improving his defense, you know, improving uh, his lateral mobility and, and some of the things that people might have some complaints about with Garza. Garza could come back easily be the preseason national player of the year and still has enough to improve that I feel like he could improve his, his stock and do so for a team that would probably be a, a top 10-ish type team. So uh, uh, let me let me ask you a question. I, I, sure. I hate to cut you off. You know, when, last time I spoke to Jerry about Luca Garza, I, I wish I, I had the quote in front of me, but I'm pretty sure Jerry said Luca Garza couldn't jump over a, a, a ruler <laughs> flat on the ground. Sure. And, 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 you know, I had Luca Garza on this list. That was the name that I kind of was expecting you to say. But I wonder, like you said, he's done just about everything a college big man can do. His game just doesn't translate to today's NBA. Like, I really don't think that he would fit in in most offense. Like, you know, the upside in terms of the way he plays basketball to me feels like Enos Cantor coming off the bench and kind of preying on second units. Uh, and for a guy like that, you know, maybe the option is to go be, you know, a borderline MVP candidate overseas. And if that's the case, you know, what's what's this last year at Iowa going to do for him other than mean he can't make money? Sure. I do think that there, there are some body changes he can make, you know, and not that... Not that he's, you know, uh, I'm sitting here patting my belly, not that he's in the shape <laughs> that, that, that I'm in. Uh, but at the same time, you know, Azabuki was, I think, 274 pounds at the combine and had 8% body fat, I mean, which is just ridiculous to think about. And yet he found a way to reshape his body, got down to 255 pounds this year, was able to ice ball screens and do different things that NBA scouts love to see. And so Azabuki went from a guy who probably wasn't going to get drafted to somebody that that I think NBA teams are going to take a very long look at and, and I could see a similar process with Garza. Now Garza doesn't have Azubuki's, you know, otherworldly athleticism for his size. He doesn't have Azubuki's, I think seven foot seven wingspan, but I think there's a, he's also much more polished offensively. And I think there's a version in between there where you can say, okay, Garza did enough defensively to where we don't worry about him being out there. He can be a good positional defender. He can do different things on that end where you don't feel like he is an absolute, you know, minus uh, on that side of the court. And, and so I do think there's some growth there to make, although, you know, there, there's certainly a case for, Hey, you know, after averaging 24 and 10, you know, just, just going and striking while the, the iron is hot. But yeah, that that's how I feel about Garza. I think, I think he could come back and I think that he could improve uh, by, by continuing to work on his body and maybe listening to what NBA people have to say and, and the little changes that he needs to make to his game. And, you know, he's, he has such great touch on the interior that, that you start to think that, Hey, if, if this guy goes out and starts to prove himself as a jump shooter, you know, there's, there's possibly some ceiling there as well. All right. So I, I have another big 10 kid that I want to ask you about, but before we get there, Luca Garza, if he comes back, what's his upside in terms of points per game? Like, could he possibly like touch 30? Cause I feel like that's on the table with the way he can score the ball. 
you know, honestly, I, I don't know that he'll wind up scoring more than he did this year because Iowa is going to be so much more loaded around him. When you look at all the guys that, that are coming back, when you look at Bo Hannon being there as well. And, and so the thing with Garza might be, you know, maybe he scores 22 a game, but it's a lot more efficient. You know, he shot 36% from three this year, which is pretty solid, especially for, for a guy his size. But if he starts making 40% or so to where people say, okay, he's, he's got this ability to, to move around it and hit shots from the outside. He's demonstrated that over multiple seasons now. And, and when you add it in the other things there, I, I think that being more efficient and not that he wasn't efficient this year, but I, I think tidying up some of those areas on offense is going to be maybe more of an indicator as opposed to him coming out and, and you know dropping dropping 32 or a game or, or whatever in, in college basketball. I, I think that Iowa has enough pieces and those pieces are going to continue to grow that maybe there's not going to be quite as much of a weight on him offensively next year if he does come back. All right. Well, that 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 idea of Luca Garza shooting forty percent from three has got me drooling, and I'm, <laughs> I and all of a sudden, you know, the way the way you talk about it really changed my perspective in just three minutes. I I almost Im- imagine him on a team with a four who can guard the five when he doesn't have to go into pick and roll so much. Now I can see him in the NBA. Okay, so I hear that. Let's move on to Isaiah Livers, and I know I don't know if he's on your list, but I spoke with Sam Webb from our Michigan Insider podcast. Uh, the other week and you know they have huge upside this year and if Isaiah Livers comes back what do you think about Livers Isaiah Livers you just want to see more you know it's you know the whole Oliver thing more gruel more gruel you know you had the the injuries uh, this year that obviously cost him some games you had the flashes obviously he was Michigan's leading scorer and you put him, you know, next year next to an improved uh, Franz Wagner. Uh, you, you put him in, in those situations where he's he's not a guy in that situation. I, I don't think right now where you look at him and say, okay, his scoring is automatically going to translate to the NBA. I mean, this is a league where there are guys who scored 20 a game in college coming to the league and they can't score, you know, their, their seventh man or, or their offense deficient or, or whatever else. And, and not that livers can't score. I'm just saying, I don't know that right now, as he stands, he's somebody that carries an NBA's offense for stretches. And I think he absolutely can be that guy. I think the athleticism's there. The outside shot is there. Uh, I just think that he needs to show more. And, and so him coming back to Michigan would not only, you know, put Michigan into the NCAA tournament and make them a team that a lot of people probably aren't going to want to play in March as that team comes together. But I think it would also be good for him as well. Yeah, I, I fully expected you to say that. Anybody else on your radar that you think should absolutely come back to school? Yeah, a, a few different guys, you know, kind of stand out um, just real quickly. You know, the the whole Malachi Flynn thing talking about potentially coming back to be parts of special teams. I know Tyshawn Alexander it, has said that he's going and he's in he, he's going to stay in the draft. If he came back to Creighton with the type of year that Creighton could have this year, uh, I don't know if he's going to be drafted. If he is, it's probably going to be late second round. He could really 
stand and propel himself. Uh, Philip Petrusev, um, Petrusev of, of Gonzaga is, is a guy that, you know, Gonzaga is maybe the preseason number one team in the country. I know they're mine. I know they're, they're Gary Parrish's at this point. Uh, he's a he's a big guy who makes a lot of plays around the basket and so there's a lot more for for him to show he doesn't necessarily translate just yet um all of the lsu guys should come back to school <laughs> I, I realize there are i realize there are four of them out there and, and that includes you know evan matthews who, who has said uh, or Emmett Williams, excuse me, who has said that he's going to stay in. All four of those guys, you know, should pretty much book the next flight back to Baton Rouge. But you don't uh, understand, the, Kevin. The NBA is making a strong ass offer for these guys. <laughs> I, I, I figured that. I figured that would be coming. But it, it's. I, I get that testing the waters now is so. It, when we don't have the stay-at-home orders, obviously, and the quarantines and everything, it's not necessarily that every guy who tests the waters is going out there saying, I'm going into this NBA draft. In some cases, they just want to put themselves in front of NBA scouts and have them say, oh, yeah, you know, maybe in a year, Javante Smart could be a guy, or maybe in a year, Trendon Watford's going to be a guy, or Darius Days, or, or whatever. But all of those guys should come back to school. Uh, the the ones that, that just drive me nuts because it's uh, – I don't think either one of them is, even in the realm of a good decision, is Khalil Whitney – you know, who, who left Kentucky, obviously, this year, and, and Alonzo Gaffney, uh, who didn't really play that much at, at Ohio State. Gaffney was a guy that I thought if he stuck around and worked at Ohio State, he would have had a chance to look pretty good in their front court this year. Uh, if he didn't feel like it was going that way, the transfer portal was, was a better option. The NBA and going to the G League is not really the better option when you're not seeing minutes for your college team and, and when you're struggling at that level. And then, you know, just for, for the fun side, um, I want John Petty to come back. And, and the reason why is if you are a shooter and you play for Nate Oates at Alabama, come back to school because you are going to get shots. You know, Petty took seven three-pointers this year. It would probably be even more if he came back next year. And Alabama played with the fourth fastest adjusted tempo in the entire country. Come back to college, work on your game to do the little extra things that you have to do. Get up and down the court and take a lot of shots. <laughs> and so I, I would absolutely love to see uh, – Love to see Petty come back and uh, and get more run in year two of uh, of Oates at Alabama. Yeah, so I want to take a break in a second, but I, I wanted to follow up real quick on one thing you said, especially the LSU guys. You know, it reminded me that for a lot of these guys, they have multiple opportunities to go test the waters for the NBA. Sure. Um, they ha- they're allowed to do it twice, right? Yeah. So. You know, in other years when people aren't stuck at home, you know, one of the, like you said, the, the, the opportunity to get in front of NBA people, to shoot in front of NBA people, to, to run drills, to meet with meet with NBA staff, that's a huge thing, but that's not really on the table this year. You know, if the NBA decides to push off the draft, 
to allow teams the opportunity to meet with players and to see players and workouts. Is there anybody who you currently feel um, w- should stay in school that having the opportunity to go in front of those scouts and shoot the ball, run through drills, show them what they have, that would change for you? You know, Najee Marshall's a guy from Xavier that I think, you know, looking at him, he's kind of that jack-of-all-trades, master of none, not a great shooter, and it's tough to have wings right now who are not, you know, not great shooters. I, I feel like if he doesn't get a chance to to work out in front of uh, in front of NBA scouts, I, I feel like his stock, you know, maybe won't be as high as, as it could have been. The guy that I thought, Tani would would maybe dominate workouts to the point that we'd be talking about him as a as a potential first round pick is Jared Butler uh, of uh, Baylor because he's a he's a guy that has you know just one of the slickest handles you, you have ever seen you know nobody took ankles in the Big Twelve this year uh, like Jared Butler and he's got a great shot too and it didn't necessarily show as much in his percentages as it would have because a lot of the stuff that he was doing was, you know, with all of the attention of the defense and with him having to take some some really, really tough shots. And he made a lot of really tough shots this year. But I think Jared Butler is a guy that if he got into workouts and, and got into those one-on-ones, that you see in the workouts and got to play in those team settings, I feel like he really would have shined and he's somebody that would get drafted regardless. But I mean, you're talking about the difference from him maybe getting drafted at 40 or him maybe getting drafted at say 25. And so if he gets a chance to work out for scouts, then then he's somebody that should, should maybe consider staying in. And if he doesn't get that chance, you know, there's, there, there's a very real chance that that maybe he should, uh, maybe he should go ahead and and come back to school because he is a first round, you know, caliber type of player, and, and I do think that uh, that Butler is somebody who could who could really thrive at those uh, those kinds of workouts. Yeah, I mean, I actually had Butler on my definitely should come back list sure. because I feel like Baylor is so good and he is such a complete player for me that I could see him having a big run in March, being on national television and then really shining in the workouts next year and pushing himself into the maybe in the conversation even for the back end of the lottery if he can shoot well in, in those workouts. Let's take a, a quick break here. And then on the other side, I want to ask you a couple about a couple schools of interest who have a few uh, guys who are still testing the waters and what could happen if these guys stay in the draft and what would happen if they would come back. So stay tuned. This is the 24-7 Sports College Basketball Show. When you have sports mixed with your pop culture, along with humor and celebrity interviews, your earbuds are enjoying the Rich Eisen Show. Dan Orlovsky, are you still a Jaden Daniels is the best quarterback available in the draft guy? I think the three things that make it stand out for me are, number one, I think his ball placement versus man coverage is the best in the draft. Every quarterback in the NFL is accurate. He's got the best on tape. Number two, most transferable stuff to the NFL. And then I think the third thing is pocket peace. Search for the Rich Eisen Show on YouTube or wherever you listen. Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation. And we're back, 
24-7 Sports College Basketball Show. I'm your host, Tani Levitt, and on the other line, I've got Kevin Flaherty. And Kevin, during the break, you know, we were talking about which schools of interest who um, have a couple guys who are testing the NBA waters uh, we wanted to talk about in, in the back half. And, and you told me that I had a glaring omission on my list in Houston. <laughs> so I, I want to open right there. Like, what am I missing? No, Houston was, was a team that was kind of a little bit up and down, if you can say that, about a team that went 23-8. and eight. You know, it felt like every time uh, Kelvin Sampson's squad was, was turning the corner, you know, they would have kind of a weird result. You know, they they lost, you know, to SMU in overtime after a three-game um, after a three-game winning streak. They, you know, would have a stretch where they would win five games and then, you know, lose to Cincinnati or or win six games and then fall to Tulsa. And so it, it never really quite felt like Houston put it all together, but they had some really interesting pieces uh, and some talent on that team. And, you know, two of those players, Nate Hinton and John Giroux, you know, both of them uh, – both of them declared for the draft, but, you know, are, are kind of expected back. The thing that I will say is, you know, Samson's teams are typically tradition, uh, tremendous, excuse me, defensively. And last year's team really kind of struggled defensively to start the year. And then by the end of the year, they, they were pretty lights out on that end. And, and they were very good and, and finished with a, with a top 25, both offense and defense in Ken Palm and finished 14th in Ken Palm. And so when you're 14th in Ken Palm, you bring back the number of guys that they could potentially bring back. Remember, you know, Kansas, uh, transfer Quentin Grimes was a, was a guy there this year as well. Uh, Caleb Mills was, was somebody who had some moments for them as a as a freshman. You, but you look at, at Jerome and, and Hinton. If they come back, Houston has the potential, I, I think, to be a top twenty type team. You know, <laughs> our own Gary Parish at CBS Sports, I think, ranked them fifth uh, nationally with the uh, idea that those two guys would return. Uh, and so th- this is a team that, that could be among. The, the best, you know, quote unquote, mid-majors in all of uh, in all of college basketball this year. Well, you know, you only have so much time to watch AAC basketball, uh, <laughs> especially <laughs> when I'm producing a bunch of uh, football shows as well as the basketball. And, and just anecdotally, I think that like every single Houston game that I watched last year was among the weird ones that you just mentioned. So I think that's how I missed that. I remember that Tulsa game and just thinking to myself, like, does this team ever not turn over the ball? So maybe that's why I have a blind spot for Houston. Another team that last year was disappointing. I know, you know, speaking of number five, I'm pretty sure you had Florida number five coming into last season. I remember ouch, producing ouch. that show. Yeah. I mean, we were all there. A two Brute. Yeah, and well, Scotty Lewis, five-star from last year, who was part of the reason why we and a lot of other people thought Florida were going to be good. Well, he, he's coming back already. And Florida still has Trey Mann and Andrew Nemhard, you know, testing the waters. What's their upside if both Mann and Nemhard come back, as most people expect? You know, some of it is going to depend on the, the style of basketball that, that they play. And, you know, I, I think Mike White is a, is a heck of a coach, but I think this was an athletic team that, that really might have been better served to get up and down. And 
Florida has a chance to be a deeper roster next year. And so maybe that changes a little bit. It, it felt like, you know, a lot of Florida games this year were maybe a little bit of a slog uh, and, and Florida really kind of struggled to put its offensive mark uh, on a lot of games. And so if they're able to get up and down the court, I thought Scotty Lewis had his moments this year. Nemhard and Mann need to come back. At the very least, you know, one of them need, needs to come back in order for, for Florida to sort of reach expectations. I, I wouldn't put them, you know, as a top five team, even if everybody came back uh, for next year. But I do think that they're a team that does have top 25 potential. And and they showed that at certain moments uh this past year they just couldn't do it consistently another team that you know did not meet our expectations for them last year preseason number one michigan state and yet you know you have faith in michigan state i have faith in michigan state because they're michigan state and they've got aaron henry xavier tillman testing the waters i think tillman is the one who's really getting buzz higher in the draft but you know where where does michigan state stand with them in the draft and out of the draft i think michigan state's gonna be pretty good regardless but i think having tillman is probably the difference between talking about a top 15 team and a top 10 team uh and tillman is is a guy who is tremendously effective at the college level because of his multi-positional defense he's so smart i mean he's like a savant when you watch him on that end of the court, you know, it, it's funny. You, you think about in football, how great safeties, they're almost like insurance policies, right? Like they make sure that, that you're covered in case something goes wrong. And Tillman's a guy that sniffs out the danger before it even happens. And he does it a lot of times in, in really subtle ways that, that you don't even really notice unless, unless you're looking for it. And so bringing Tillman back along with, you know, Rocket Watts, who I think, has a chance to turn into an absolute star. Um, Michigan State is, again, probably going to be maybe a little bit deeper this year than, than they were last year. I do think it, it would have been interesting with the way Michigan State was playing at the end of the year to see if Michigan State would have gone on, you know, to make the Final Four or, or make us, you know, look a little bit better in the NCAA tournament in terms of our, uh, our preseason prognostications. But it's tough to prepare for life without Cassius Winston. If you bring back Xavier Tillman, it, it helps a whole bunch. And if Tillman goes and Aaron Henry goes, that's when all of a sudden you kind of start start looking around and saying, okay, is there really enough here for, for this to be a top 25 team? All right, last Big Ten school, Illinois. They got Kofi Coburn and Io DeSumo uh, testing the waters. And Io especially is interesting to me because that's a dude who just got serious buckets last year. And, and with Coburn, you know, I, when you were describing um, Yudoka Azubuki and the way he had his body and the way he kind of built himself as a player, I'm wondering if another year at Illinois, Kofi could do something similar. Sure. And, and I think, you know, it, it's funny. Uh, it's funny thinking about, you know, sort of our conversation just a few minutes ago about players who would have benefited from from having workouts and being able to work out in front of scouts. And I think that Io is a guy that jumps right up, doesn't he? You know, in, in terms of his ability to, to get buckets against, you know, darn near perfect defense in key situations. And, and so when you, when you look at it, I don't, I don't see IO coming back, 
but I think that Illinois is better positioned to to deal with uh, with his absence. I love Illinois' recruiting class. I really do. I think Andre Curbelo has a chance to to be the type of you know sort of three or four year point guard that that people have have fallen in love with, whether that's Cassius Winston or or Anthony Cowan or or Devonte Grammer or whoever. I, I think he really has a chance to to be not just a, a good, you know, single year point guard, but the type of guy that we remember over the course of his career, Adam Miller joining him in that backcourt. I think the backcourt's gonna be pretty good. And so if you add Kofi back to that, you know, and somebody who, you know, everybody has to account for because he's such a, a force around the rim and such a such a force in the middle of that paint area, all of a sudden Illinois becomes really interesting to me. Uh, I think that they would be a dark horse type Big Ten team at that point. I don't think they would get across the finish line there. The Big Ten looks looks pretty deep again, but I think you'd be talking about a team that would be maybe a fringe top 25 team with the, with the potential if everything clicked to, to maybe be even better than that. Yeah. I mean, if Illinois can get their stuff together, you could easily picture a situation where Illinois, Wisconsin, Iowa, and Michigan are the top four. And doesn't that sound like a, a unique group of teams to have atop the big 10? I got one last question for you and we've already gone pretty long today. Gonzaga, that you know, I mean, they're going to be really, really good next year. Not that they are ever not really, really good, but if Philip Petrosev and Corey Kispert come back next year, I mean, this that could be a team that could be looking at three losses, two losses, one loss over the course of the year. As you've mentioned, Gary Parrish loves them. Uh, is wondering if Petrosev could be you know preseason national player of the year. They don't have. Uh, you know, a ceiling with these guys back, do they? No, no. And you look at if they brought those guys back, they would be bringing back three starters from this year's team, which was probably the second best in college basketball, wouldn't you say? I mean, in terms of resume and everything heading into uh, he- heading into the the bracket weekend and everything, certainly, you know, in that discussion, and you bring back three starters from that team, you bring back most of your um, most of your rotation guys, a guy like Drew Timmy, who was, you know, one of the best big men off the bench in the entire country as a freshman, and he's only going to get better. You bring back a healthy Anton Watson, you know, and a lot of the guys that they have there. And oh, wait, just in case we didn't mention it, they're bringing in a top 10 recruiting class in the 24 7 sports composite. Gonzaga is. And that includes, you know, a five-star point guard in Jalen Suggs. I know we have him listed as a combo guard. I'm sure he would be the primary on-ball guy. You would put him with Joel Ayayi, you know, for, for Gonzaga. And all of a sudden, you have maybe the best front court in the country and a backcourt that would be upgraded over last year's backcourt that, you know, was good enough to lead them to 30 whatever wins. And and so I, I don't see – I don't really see a whole lot of issues with that team because I think they would be able to shoot. I think the depth would be there. The size is certainly there. I mean, Gonzaga has more guys six foot eight and above than, you know, probably some conferences it, it feels like. Uh, 
And, and so I, I think Gonzaga, if they bring those guys back, they're they're not just you know the team that I would pick for my number one. They would be sort of my my number one with a bullet ahead of teams, you know, like Baylor if they bring back those guys, and Villanova would be in that discussion. A team that maybe isn't quite getting the love in the top five that I feel like they should be getting is Virginia. I think Virginia has a chance to be really, really, really good again. And, and Hey, guess what, Tony, Virginia is still the defending national champion. So oh, no, no, that's just not true. That's not true. That's not true. So, so, so Tony Bennett could technically go back to back over a three year period. But I, I do think Virginia is a, another team that maybe isn't quite getting the respect at that level. But even with those teams in that discussion, I think Gonzaga stands out above those other ones. Well, you know, something that, that interests me is come conference play next year, whenever, whenever that ends up happening, I would look at the odds for Gonzaga to run the table in conference. When you think about they they are already in a class above the rest of their conference and then you look at how much BYU who was their main competitor last year has lost and I know they got Matt Harms but Matt Harms isn't moving the needle for anybody especially when you're talking about uh, comparing them to in all likelihood the best team in the country I would look strongly at the odds for Gonzaga to go undefeated in conference next year well and don't forget you know Jordan Ford from St. Mary's you know graduating Malik mm-hmm. Fitz is leaving school early for St. Mary's. So St. Mary's is, has been, you know, the most consistent competitor in that conference for Gonzaga and St. Mary's looks like it could take a step back, uh, just, uh, just based on, on the graduation of Ford and then Fitz leaving early, you know, it, it's hard to see, it's hard to see any specific team in that league, you know, really jumping out and scaring Gonzaga next year. All right, Kevin. Well, I think I think we've given the listeners a lot to chew on here, and I, and I hope uh, you've made it this far. If you have made it this far, I should say that you wouldn't mind uh, giving us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Kevin, I, I don't know if you heard, but last week we had a huge boom in listeners, and it was really cool to see that in the numbers, and I'm hoping that this week we can continue that. And another thing we're planning on continuing from last week is that we're going to have two episodes. I'm re- we're recording this on Tuesday, Kevin, but tomorrow, around the same time that this episode's going out, We've got the 2020 final recruiting rankings released, and so I've got to get Jerry Meyer on the phone, talk about the final rankings. We're going to do that for you on an episode on Friday. What do you feel about the 2020 rankings, Kevin? It's uh, it's always it's always worth looking at because I, I think basketball, maybe even related to football, is such a unique ranking process, and our guys do such a great job of of seeing these guys in person, of seeing them develop, you know, some of these guys they've been watching since, since they were in seventh or eighth grade. And so to, to see any rankings process, you know, sort of culminate with those final rankings is definitely, uh, definitely worth taking a look at. All right. Well, Kevin, I really appreciate you coming on the show. I hope uh, you and your family stay safe in in this uh, pandemic times. Uh, I hope to have you back on the show soon. Thanks a lot, Tony. All right, and that's going to do it for today's episode of the 24-7 Sports College Basketball Show. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts. That way you get the podcast even before I have the opportunity to embed on the website because I see you guys coming from the website. There are a lot of you, and we'd love it that you're here. But please, do us a favor. Subscribe, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. Wherever you get it, we're there. Subscribe on your phone so you can get this right away. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, we'd love a five-star review. If you have any questions, especially about the 2020 range, 
rankings, be sure to put that in a five-star review. I promise you we'll get to that. So that's going to do it for today's episode. We'll see you on Friday with the rankings episode. And until then, I'm Tony Levitt, and this is the 24-7 Sports College Basketball Show. series on Paramount Plus. Why did he kill his family? The answer lies across the ocean in a woman named Sylvie. She's a can model. Where desire leads to deception. I ended up spending twelve and fifteen thousand dollars a day. It was addictive. I can't get you out. And obsession leads to murder. Who did this to your family? You can't really maintain a fantasy forever. Control all desire. Now streaming on Paramount Plus.